0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelley. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelley. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux, joined by my lovely co host, Shelley Billinghurst.
1: Shelley, how are you? I'm doing great. Serge, how are you?
0: Doing fantastic. And I'm really excited for today's Mm -hmm. guest. So am I. We've talked to a lot of different guests and it's very rare that we have someone, first of all, in Canada, and secondly, is a CEO of a tech company.
1: Yes. And Canadian tech company. This feels like we're going back to our roots. Of always wanting to look at the new tech coming on. So with no further ado, I would like to introduce our special guest today, Caitlin McGregor, who is the CEO and co-founder of Plum. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was a very big lead in to introduce you. So let me dive right in because we're going to take this opportunity um, to first of all, get to know Caitlin. And then I want to talk about Plum because I think it's very cool. I did have the opportunity to take one of your assessments as well. So let's start with, who's Caitlin? Tell us about your journey in HR tech, specifically here in Canada.
2: Yeah, I don't have a conventional background. I went to the University of Guelph for international development in my high school yearbook was voted to be most likely to save the world. And I had all these idealistic views uh, that I was going to go overseas and do development work. And I realized while I was living in West Africa during university that I could create greater impact from home. And uh, so I came back. Mm -hmm. My first job in Toronto was I I got hired as employee number one director of operations for a social enterprise. And I was tasked with building a business from scratch to support the overhead of the charity. And uh, over three years, I built a sweatshop-free, locally-made, custom apparel company. Oprah Winfrey wore my t-shirt, and it really wow. happened because <laughs> <laughs> it really happened because I I met this person early in my career who saw something in me. I had nothing mm-hmm. on paper that said that I should be building a business from scratch, let alone in the apparel industry, manufacturing. There was just absolutely nothing on paper, but he thought that I had hooked spot. And you know, he was raised by a single mother. He really didn't see why anybody should have a ceiling put on top of them. And he just let me loose. And I was able to look back and after three years go, holy shit, I'm an entrepreneur. My strength, the thing that I can really do is build something from nothing. Then the next opportunity after that got hired to go down to the US and build an educational tech company, the first U.S. branch of this Canadian ed tech company to help students with learning disabilities. And when I went to make my first hire, my executive coach said, Caitlin, if you screw up that first hire, it's going to be a loss of $300,000 on the business. So the new president, not wanting to make that mistake, he had developed a psychometric assessment and extra income while he was teaching at Harvard. And I had the ability to pay this really expensive consultant to use his assessment to screen every single person that applied to my company. And over two and a half years, I kept finding these incredible dimes in the rock. Just people you never, ever would have interviewed, let alone hired. From somebody that had been a waitress for seven years, didn't even know how to use Excel, ended up being our first hire to Run all of our operations to people that had dropped out of college to become carneys. And I was hiring ex carneys to high school students that beat out 80 other people that were able to do things that people making over a hundred grand back in the head office couldn't get done. And I just I kept finding these incredible people. And I had just started my family and I was looking for an opportunity to come back to Canada. I, I built two businesses for other people. It was, it was time to do it myself. And my co founder Neil came back from work one day and said, there's a really big opportunity here to democratize access to this highly predictive data and make sure that every business owner like us has this data to set them up for success. And so we took the opportunity to take best-in-class industrial organizational psychology and combine it with best-in-class software as a service, create an incredible user experience, and make sure that this data really got democratized and gotten to the hands of every single person making a decision
1: around talent. I love that story, Caitlin, mostly because I think every single person that just heard your story can honestly think back in their life of the one person that took a chance on me. We all started out somewhere. We, someone took a chance on me and it was magical. So talk to us a bit more about Plum, because the first couple of times I heard the name, I'm like, I don't get it. What is Plum? Why did you choose the name Plum? And what's that got to do with psychometric assessments? We were originally called
2: Cream HR because we were selecting the cream of the crop and we were trying to be memorable, Uh, but we were a little too cheeky with that name. And uh, one of the the great things and and the reason why we're in Waterloo is that we got into a business accelerator program and (laughs) we got to become big fish in in a small tech ecosystem that had a lot of support. And- uh, BlackBerry, the agency that actually did all of their marketing is called Quarry Communications. And Alan Corey ended up being our entrepreneur in residence, our advisor. And we went to him saying, hey, we need to change our name. And we know based on the EdTech company, we we know there's a right way of doing this and a wrong way of doing it. We'd really like to do the right way, but there's no way that we can pay a hundred grand to a Manhattan firm. So, like, how do we do this? And he graciously ran us through a a really proper exercise. And especially the reason why we picked him is that if you add a B on the end in the UK, it's plum uh, candidate, like a good candidate or a plum job, or like in carpentry, a plum fit. And the best people, the best jobs and and fitting them together and small side note, ING had just rebranded to Tangerine at the time. And I was like, look, if if ING can rebrand to Tangerine, we should be jumping all over Plum and and we've never looked back. Right. And Blackberry, I was
1: starting to think there was a fruit connection here or something, (laughs) but now I get it. Okay. So now tie the things together with psychometric assessment because I'm very familiar with psychometric assessment and I've got some strong opinions about where they (laughs) fit. And I've also got some strong opinions about how it's used as a baseball bat sometimes in the wrong hands. It can be very dangerous. Tell us about Plum and what's the connection to psychometric assessment?
2: Yeah, I love industrial organizational psychology. I think that it's a real science that is overlooked and those that understand it and believe in it when we talk to them, they're like, finally something like Plum is here. And for those that aren't familiar with the field, they often are are very skeptical. So I think we're really lucky to have PhDs in industrial organizational psychology. But unfortunately the assessment industry I think has been not built the right way. There's been a lot of lot of mistakes in terms of trying to commercialize that knowledge. And I hate to some extent that we have to call ourselves an assessment. Because if for pattern matching, it makes sense to classify us that way. But so much of what we are doing is trying to do it right. It, it really feels like going from a flip phone to a smartphone. It's hard to even compare them. It's more like a computer in your pocket. And that evolution, a lot of people aren't aware that in 2022, we've made this massive leap for the industry. So to take a step back, I think that in the HR tech landscape, there's really two categories. The first one is there's a lot of solutions out there that look at historical data. They give a rearview mirror look on where someone has come. And unfortunately, it involves a lot of keyword scraping of resumes and matching to keywords and job descriptions. And it's really about quantifying those hard skills and past experience. And the problem is when you look at that historical data, it's often embedded with the systemic barriers and biases that dictate access so to education, true. internships, yeah. and even career progression. And so that data from an AI perspective, it's dirty data because it's embedded with all of that bias. And so that's what the vast majority of the HR tech landscape is utilizing today. The other category of data is human potential data. And I'm not talking about human potential like, hey, teachers have project management skills, so now I'm going to suggest every project management job to every teacher, no, I'm talking about really understanding what drives a person and makes them exceptional and really assessing it, not being this incomplete proxy of, oh, because you've done this, you probably have teamwork. No, really assessing what are people's innate talents? What are they born with that you can't teach that make them at the end of the day go, I just had an incredible day. I outperformed all my peers. And I love my job because I got to do A, B, and C, and that's what I'm the best at. Uh, We are able to quantify that and really assess people's ability to innovate, communicate, work well on teams, execute, and understand that with only eight hours in a day, what are they naturally prioritizing that's giving them that sense of self-worth? And if they spend too much time on things that are draining, will eventually lead to burnout. And we do that through a 25-minute assessment. And it's done in a way that they can't stake or game. And it's holistic at getting us these 10 talents that really let us understand how people prioritize their behavior. Sorry, that was a very long answer.
0: <laughs> no, that was a perfect answer. Exactly what I was looking for. Because I've always been uh, an opponent and a proponent of these, I'll call it assessments, and I completely agree. I think there's different ways we can look at it. But... As a candidate, I've had negative experience with assessments. I apply for a job and suddenly no one talks to me. I just get an assessment in my email that's going to take me 45 minutes an hour of my time as a job seeker, how many times do you apply for jobs and never hear back? So I'm going to take an hour of my time to do this assessment, haven't talked to anyone. And now they're going to judge me on this particular assessment that I don't even know what I'm doing. So why. I guess where why, why exactly what and why, what's the purpose? This is where I have a dilemma as far as where it fits in the recruitment process, but also in the whole talent management landscape. I'll ask you the question, where should it sit? What is the proper process for someone to be able to execute on this and not affecting the candidate experience
2: it starts with recognizing where is the candidate going to get the maximum value and it starts with you don't ask them to do this and give them nothing in return you ask them to do this and you give something of massive value back to them immediately that's the very first thing and shelly what was your experience like
1: taking plums? So I have to say, you've obviously invested a lot in the UX. There was three points of time where I was told how long this was going to take. I I know what I found hard. And when I finally stopped trying to figure out what you wanted from me and just did exactly what the instructions were, it became easier. The whole experience did take 25 minutes. The UX, the, the colors and just the way everything's laid out, you've obviously spent some money there. And what did you get when you were done? I immediately got my results with a thorough explanation of why it said, these are my top three talents and not a full report. Therein lies my distaste for traditional psychometric assessments. They believe in order to create value, they had to give me 25 pages of what was clearly a template And a lot of it's written in a way that it needs to be interpreted. That was not the case at all. My results were self-explanatory. There's nothing in there I could disagree with. So it's written in a very positive form, put it that way. And is it something that would give me evidence and clues of what I would be a good fit for? And was it true? Yes. Was it
0: true? What was was your, I'm curious. So my top three
1: talents are persuasion adaptation and decision making. And so being a female entrepreneur running my own company, I would think I'd better have those or probably I would have bailed out and just got a job a long time ago, because those are essential ingredients for being an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, guess what? I am also a female entrepreneur running my own business, and it just happens to be, we don't have statistical evidence, but it just so happens to be my top talents are persuasion, adaptation, and decision-making.
0: Oh, oh wow.
1: Wow, really? Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. there's something to this, hey? Uh, <laughs> and yeah,
0: I, I, I want to take a little bit of a step back. So okay. yes, there's definite value. But let's look at a talent acquisition department. Let's look at a job seeker. When they do get this, how do we communicate exactly what type of value are they getting? And it still goes back to that question of, should it be in the front, at the top of your funnel or along your funnel? What's your overall thoughts there?
2: Yeah. So a lot of the times assessments were one-sided and they were often used. At the end of the hiring process, as a, we like these three people, and we're going to let the assessment decide which one to move forward. Uh, and that is not the right place to do it. First and foremost, allows you to screen in people that you never would have looked at before. And so I would say one of the most bold ways that Plum is being used today is by Bank. They have outright declared war on resumes. You cannot apply with a resume to Scotiabank if you are a campus recruitment or an internship or co-op hire. Instead, you need to apply with your PLUM profile. So right at the very beginning to apply to Scotiabank, you need to complete your 25-minute PLUM assessment. But here's the great thing. They're comparing those candidates to every job at Scotiabank. So you may be applying to commercial banking. You're not going to know your match score, but they can see... That you actually might be a better fit as a financial analyst. And so, what's happened is that before they would hire from a handful of the same elite universities with finance and uh, business backgrounds, the same programs that all the other banks are applying for. So, they'll get in a bidding war with the exact same small pool of candidates. Now they're hiring from 33 different colleges and universities. 40% of their hires are now. STEM plus arts backgrounds, and they're seeing massive impact on the diversity, equity, and inclusion numbers. They're seeing 60% hiring of underrepresented minorities when other banks are just pledging 40%. Half of their hires are women, and they've doubled retention as a result as well. That's evidence enough put it at the very beginning and screen in people that often aren't being looked at because of that historical data. And if somebody's a 98 match, and that may mean that they have to take a little bit more time on the job training before they're up to speed, that's a decision you can make later. Eligibility, just like reference checks, can come into the equation, but why put that up front when this data is four times more accurate at predicting on the job success?
0: You nailed it. In a world where we don't have enough candidates, everyone's complaining about exactly the same thing, and we are still screening out candidates across the board without having a clue if they could be a fit. So screening in is the key words. But I think we can all agree that the hiring process has been broken for a very long time. Maybe I'm generalizing, but most talent professionals are open to new ideas of how we approach this and how we fix this. And being a practitioner myself, I've come across this many times that this is a proven way that we can do it. But when it gets to the executive level, I'm not getting buy-in. The hiring managers are not buying in. What advice would you give to HR, talent acquisition, talent management people
2: being like, this is actually a better way? I think that there's a lot of talk these days about wanting to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion with not a lot of statistical evidence of the change that's being made. This is something that tangibly shows that we are adding objective data to the hiring process. We're actively disrupting the bias that happens in the process right now. And we are creating real tangible improvements in the metrics that leadership team is committing to their board and committing to the public that they're gonna make. So this is a way to actually move the needle on issues that leadership team cares about. And also in a time where, you know, great resignation, it helps retain people. The loyalty that you get from people when you take a chance on them, it's really funny at the executive level, we will take somebody that has been in sales and give them the opportunity to run marketing. They may not have any background in that, but all of a sudden we're like, well, this senior leader, let's move them into a different department. We give people that opportunity later on. So why can't we take those abilities to trust in transferable talents and give people that transferable opportunity at a much earlier stage in their career, which helps them say, hey, you're going to take a risk on me to go in a new career direction that another employer that doesn't know me won't do. I'm going to stay here longer and I'm going to be happier here. So I'm going to stay longer.
1: So in your example about Scotiabank, you talk about a job match. I assume there's another part of this equation that we're not yet talking about because I was not surprised by my results because I wouldn't have survived eight years uh, being a, an entrepreneur if I didn't have these things but Nirvana would be if you get rid of the resumes or the resumes used later on in the process because HR still needs name address phone number they still need data. But talk more about how Scotia Bank was able to assess the jobs, Because again, nobody wants to refresh the job description. Tell us how we get our internal HR partners, talent management people to even get on board with this.
2: Does it mean that
1: they need to start from scratch?
2: This is the biggest thing that Plum does that I haven't seen any other assessment company do is that we are completely bringing to the table a way to scalably make sure that you are hiring people For job relevancy, meaning you actually understand the behaviors needed for somebody to perform well on the job long term because we've gotten them specific for that company, for that point in time, for that need. And so let me take a step back and tell you how broken the assessment industry and how poorly they do it and then what we do differently. So there are two methods that are often used by other assessment companies. One is by assessment companies that use off-the-shelf catalog attempts. You're applying for a sales job, you complete the sales assessment, and then you're being told, yes, you are a good salesperson or not a good salesperson based on a whole bunch of other companies that aren't yours, that were maybe done you know, decades ago, and you're being told that, that you're being matched to that outside third-party catalogs of this is a good salesperson or not that means that every time they apply to a different job they go to apply to a uh, an operations job that candidate has to retake a new assessment to be marked to a new thing of are they successful or not so that method of pulling off the shelf this is what success means for a wide array of other companies really dilutes what the specific needs for your company are today and there's no proof that there's one model of sales success. If you're selling inside sales or outside sales, a small company, there's so many factors where you need that specificity to get it right. So that's the first method. The second way that creating that match is done by other companies is something called an internal benchmark. And companies that beg for it, we will do it. We can do it. I just don't like to do it. And the reason for this is that Internal benchmarks require 50 to 100 people that all do the exact same job to complete the assessment. Yeah. And then you marry that data with performance data. Dirty little secret in this industry is that 50% of performance data metrics are wrong. That a three from one manager is totally different than a three from the others. There's tons of subjective bias in those reviews. But that's how you then figure out what makes the top performer different than an average and below average. And that allows you to create this internal benchmark. The other problem is that's represented the last five years of workers. What happens if your company is going in a new direction, has new business objectives, wants to do something different? The second you create that internal benchmark, it's out of date. But more importantly, it doesn't scale beyond those high volume roles. So you never have that data on the mid-level or the high-level roles. And then the last method, which is a good method, it's just been done the wrong way in the industry is something called a job analysis. So this is where corn fairy makes all their money is you hire in a consulting firm like corn fairy to bring a team of industrial organizational psychologists in, and they interview your stakeholders. This is often done for that executive level and above because they can afford to do this on that level Mm -hmm. and they go around and they interview the different stakeholders that understand what are those business objectives you want the new hire to hit in order to be successful. And what they do is a 360 focus group on, you know, the manager that's going to be hiring them, the other people that would be on the interview panel, maybe some people that are already doing that job successfully, maybe the manager's boss, and they ask them what behaviors are needed for success. And they curate those different opinions and then say, this is what they have in common. This is your new competency model. That's awesome. But oh my goodness, is that expensive and not scalable. What we did is we automated that job analysis step. So in eight minutes, our system asks your internal job experts which behaviors are most important and least important for this unique job. And it surfaces the opinions of these three to eight people transparently so you can see if they're aligned or not. If they're all aligned and somebody's a 98 match to that criteria, then you can hire with confidence that that person's going to deliver the behaviors you need for success in the role. If the opinions are all over the place, thank goodness we got that before the interview panel, and we can have a discussion around, you know, are some of the people we ask the opinion of, should we not include them? Great. Unclick them, it dynamically updates without their opinions. Or do we need to sit down and have a conversation? If you have a new leader with a new uh, view six months later coming in, they can complete it and compare if they have a different perspective than the other people that's opinions were curated. And that's how we create our match criteria. It's happening already. We've just finally quantified it so you can see exactly how people match to it.
1: Do you remember back up about maybe 2012 or 2013, there was like a tidal wave rolling across the whole HR sector and it was called StrengthsFinder. Then there was these organizations that popped up everywhere where they would come in and do these complete department. So how is Plum different than what that StrengthsFinder was doing?
2: So StrengthsFinder is often how DISC and other assessments that we've inherited over the last 50, 100 years, where it's based on just the the personality component. It's missing the problem-solving cognitive piece, the social intelligence cognitive piece that Plum has. So we're taking a more holistic view of the person with some of those really important pieces to contribute towards understanding somebody's ability to innovate or manage others and things like that. So the model is a bit outdated, but the bigger issues that they would see done kind of like with Myers-Briggs in terms of, I want to understand a team and I understand a team dynamic. And the thing is that there's not a lot of legal risk of using that kind of stuff to get to know your team members better. But when it comes to hiring, there is an enormous amount of legal risk. You really need to make sure that you are hiring for job relevancy. And that's what our eight-minute match criteria allows companies to do is ensure they are matching to job relevancy, and the reason why companies like Whirlpool and Scotiabank are selecting from is because of the validity of our science. we beat out some of the best assessment companies in the world based on the quality of our science and that validity that backs it, and the methodology that just isn't there for the use cases of strength finders in terms of get, get to know people better. This is one assessment that takes you from not just the hiring, but then can take you through every talent management decision so that one set of data is informing over and over again, exponentially, all of these different decisions you're making about a person. Whereas finder is that one and done with teams, and it's not helping you beyond that. I'm already thinking, what a tool to have
1: in a recruiter's hands. Recruiters may see this as a bit of a threat. But imagine if you've got the assessments done on the role, the job analysis is done, and you've got candidates applying with a 98% match. It's a no brainer. Who do you interview? Recruiters are going to be, well, that takes all the magic out of what I do. I still believe you need human to human interaction, giving recruitment a tool that gives us more to go on than our own ability to read a resume, you know, and then know how we need to appease the hiring manager, because they only want people that came from the University of Alberta, or University of Waterloo, right? This could be a real game changer. What's standing in the way of you guys disrupting the way companies hire in Canada?
2: I think the first thing is people understanding why this matters now. And I would say, especially on the heels of what we've gone through in the last two years, I think there is this awareness that we need to do things differently, even from hiring managers, that we need to be sourcing with more ethical methods that are removing the bias from the hiring process. There's this understanding that we need to cast a wider net and screen in people. There's starting to be an appetite. What's missing is people don't understand how to do it. They think that their only options are some of these tools that are using AI on the historical data. I think it's a lack of awareness that there's missing data set, and that this missing data set is the piece that's going to change the game and let us truly make sure that we have people in jobs that are going to perform at a higher level, be happier, stay longer, and add more diversity to the existing talent. But the great thing too is that in the case of that recruiter, it's not just that the 95 is a no-brainer is that you now have 20 or 195. You now have a whole bunch of 95 that you can go through and then decide of all of these great choices, which one is the best one to bring forward. That's, That's pretty amazing. The other thing is, what about that person that applied for job A and they're only a 60 match? The great thing is you get to go to that candidate and say, actually, there's another job in here that you didn't apply to and you're a 95 to that. Are you interested in having a conversation or in three months, there's a new job that pops up and you get to go back and say, oh my God, of this entire pool of people, you know, that have been applying to our company, there are these people that I could just reach out to immediately that are a strong fit. They, They weren't a fit three months ago, but now there's an opportunity that's come up and they're a strong fit and you immediately know who to reach out to right away. It starts to really utilize your database and utilize your time more effectively.
0: Caitlin, if I could go back to 2015 and change decisions that I made in my life and career, one of the things that if I knew what was going to happen in the HR tech space in 2021, 2020 even, I would have started an HR tech company. I'm a little (laughs) late to the game, but last year, $18 billion was spent in funding for HR tech companies. What's your take on this? Do you foresee this continuing or have we really hit the peak?
2: We are not close to the peak. No way. I feel like this industry has been neglected from the investor standpoint for so long. They're finally recognizing that they're late to the party. And so you're seeing this flood, but the flood's paying off. I mean, they're seeing great successes from these investments. I don't think that it's going to let up. I think we saw the first early adopters of investors starting to play. Now we're going to get the regular a little bit slower to the games. We think that investors take a lot of risks. They don't. We got to see the first wave of early adopter investors. And I think the mainstream investors are now waking up that they've also been missing out. I can tell you from fundraising four years ago, HR tech was not sexy. And now all of a sudden it's the shiny thing and everyone's like, oh, I don't have one of those in my portfolio. So I don't think it's going to let up anytime soon. What I think is really interesting is that in the past, some of the biggest players were people that had a really big success. The investors knew them, and then they went and built another company based on that that past success. And so you're seeing the same people bringing the same really big, robust products to market. It almost feels like accountants had built some of these HR tech products Whereas now you're seeing a new wave of more fragmented, but some really innovative solutions by some new players. And they're getting some of that funding. So we're seeing more options in the space. And I think it's it's almost overwhelming to the buyer, but I think this is a really healthy, important movement for this space. And we'll see some consolidation. That'll be the next wave, but I hope that the consolidation happens with really innovative pieces to the toolkit that give more options more, you know, candid employee experience, greater diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, pieces to the puzzle.
0: Amen to that. And as part of Plum's journey, you just hired a new chief revenue officer, a friend of the show, Jason. And what did he win, Shelley? The 2021? Global
1: executive of the year. There you
0: go. Yeah. So yeah. how were you able to recruit and hire Jason? I want to know your secret, Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I still pinch myself because when you look at success of companies, sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time and a little bit of luck. And really, I'm just so grateful that our paths crossed. So we met at HR Tech this October, and we just happened to be sitting at a dinner together. I just started asking him questions about the success that he's had. What is it that he did that allowed for the crazy success that he had just had the previous year? And the first words out of his mouth was that he figured out the why. He was working for a very well-established company that had a great exit. And even then, they hadn't figured out their why. Why does it matter to customers? And that that was kind of the nut that he cracked. And I had just been thinking about how we needed to do a better job of really getting at why people should care about plum and how to communicate that and get away from the assessment language to like that part of why should people care? And so he took the words right out of my mouth. And I think within 15 minutes, uh, we were both handshaking on him joining our board. <laughs> and the next night we had dinner together again, because I was thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity to onboard a new board member. And I was presenting at HR Tech with our customer world pool on stage about all the great success that they had. And it was one of those things where when we left the dinner, I'm like, I just have to ask you, is there any way you would come and join us as our new CRO? And he was like, no, no, I'll be better as a board member. There's no way that makes sense. You know, our size and things like that. He he turned me down. And so we kept having him on board as a board member. And it's so funny because we were weeks into talking. He was already making intros. And then I gave him a product demo. And he's like, Caitlin, I have been courted like crazy for other CRO jobs. I can't tell you how amazed I am at your product. And so I took my shot and I said, Jason, is there any way (laughs) I can revisit that conversation and convince you to consider being our CRO? And he ended up selling himself on it. And I know he told this story on your podcast, but in case people missed it, Jason's top two talents are embracing diversity, which means he loves making people feel included. He loves hearing their ideas and that's why he's amazing in HR tech, because which chief people officer doesn't want to feel heard and seen and sort of sold to from a vendor. But he really has this sense of making everybody feel special, which you do not find in sales leaders. But that's his top talent. That's his natural strength. And then a second is innovation. And so Jason will tell the story that on paper, he could go and work anywhere. He'd be successful. And then through talking and explaining, we needed those two talents in our CRO. That is what we wanted him to bring to the table. And he said that from every day that he started working at Plum, he wakes up excited about his job. He he finishes his day feeling fulfilled because he gets to actually utilize his top talents.
0: So, Caitlin, I am going to officially anoint you as a recruiter extraordinaire. Uh, you've got the title. You oh. Go ahead, Shelly.
1: No, here's what I wanted to say. Was, Caitlin, one of the things you said was that your Plum profile, your number one thing was persuasion. Is this not the perfect example? <laughs> oh, my God. That is exactly right. what you did. Well done.
0: Caitlin, well done. I
1: love it. I love it.
0: Caitlin, Thank for- you anyone listening and wants to know more about Caitlin, where can they find you and where can they find Plum?
2: Yeah. So I'm going to start with Plum. So it's Plum.io like data input output. So Plum.io. Also, if people want to take their own Plum assessment, they can go to Plum.io slash DS, which is discovery survey. I'll also, when you post this on LinkedIn, I'll put a link where they can get their full professional development guide, which is an extended version of that uh, at no cost. And uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Caitlin McGregor. And if you look up Caitlin McGregor, plum.io, you will find me and please connect and happy to talk. And you can also send me an email at Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N at plum.io.
0: Well, this was a lot of fun. You thank gave us a you. lot yes. of insight on an industry that not a lot of mm. us know in depth of how it works. And I really appreciate that. For everyone listening, thank you very much, Caitlin. Thanks again for being on the show.
2: Thank you.
1: Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. Yeah.